Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops! This guy goes to be a heater, I'm taking him downtown. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proops House, takes to the heater tonight from the salubrious confines of the wine bar at the Gilded Balloon at the fabulous Edinburgh Festival, ladies and gentlemen. Hooray! Where thousands of drunk people gather to watch other drunk people perform. If you're listening now uh, in your car, this is an awesome time to light up a joint. If you're listening at work, this is a groovy time to reach for that flask that you keep in your desk. Uh, If you're at the gym, fuck it. What are you doing at the gym? Go home and drink. Life is super short, uh, and you don't want to be running the whole time. Haven't you watched enough Olympics to get the idea that you should be home drinking while other people do this for you? Uh, so thank you very much one and all for listening and coming out to the show tonight Uh, we're here in Edinburgh this is my first day here I got in last night so I'm disoriented and I can't see I can't breathe and uh, I have no idea where I am I haven't eaten oh no I've had chips once so far Uh, I was here for five days last year and had chips 14 times yeah so I want to keep that girlish figure going at all times I I want my man breasts to be the most defiant in all of Hibernia or Caledonia, rather. Oops, wrong continent. Uh, so I, I go out to dinner tonight. Uh, first of all, I did a show tonight uh, at 6.15 over at a tent, and uh, it was uh, exactly 6.15. I, I, performing in the daytime doing comedy is always a, a mixed bag. There was light coming in, and I think it bothered uh, me more than it bothered the audience. They didn't seem to mind. But when, like right now, I can't see anyone in this room, which is awesome. Uh, and not because I don't want to see you. I touched many of you. But... Um, Uh, it's easier as a comedian to just hear you than to actually see everyone's face. Because as I got on the stage tonight at 6.15, there was a dude three rows back going like this. And his expression didn't change for the first 15 minutes. For a minute, I thought he had a rictus or something, like Dr. Dr. Fives rises from the grave or whatever, you know, kind of... Like, why, are, why, why is your mouth open and why is your head thrown back? And then finally he laughed, and I thought, oh, thank fuck that he doesn't have, like, some sort of dengue fever or something. And the, the, Hooray! We, we have fans of dengue fever here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I hope all the tropical diseases will get discussed before the night's over. If there's any Barry Berry people out there, I just want to know. Is Ricketts in the house? And uh, that was an amazing wheeze that just came. I don't know if anyone heard that, but that just sounded like a little train engine over there from the corner. Someone went, and there was music pouring through from the venue next door through the whole show, uh, which is the joy of Edinburgh. As, they, as When anything goes wrong uh, 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 up here during the festival, uh, like a, a ceiling falls in on you or someone dies at your show and shit, uh, people go, that's the fringe, isn't it? <laughs> the first year I played here in 1947, uh, we had j- just showed Fritz a thing or two, I can tell you that. And... We, I was playing over at the, at the old, old assembly room, which I think is now the new, old, new, old assembly room. It's very difficult to keep up with all the changes. In any case, in those days, it was simply the assembly room. And I was in a little 99-seater. If I've told this story before, fuck it, I'm telling it again. Uh, and the Doug Anthony All-Stars were upstairs, who were an Australian trio at the time. Uh, trio? Or was there four of them? Does anyone remember? Trio. There was three of them. And, uh, and Paul, who I've seen in, 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 in Paul McDermott, who is their uh, lead singer, uh, who I've seen in Australia many times. In any case, uh, they would do uh, an emu dance or some bloody thing. And my venue was right below them, and they were in like a 400-seater. And so they'd all start pounding. And shit, there was a, a woman who was doing a show in my venue who, who had a bucket of glitter attached to the ceiling and the bucket opened on me and just poured all over me right so suddenly i've got glitter all over me right in the middle of my stand-up act and i'm like wow i'm an alligator wow i'm a mama papa coming for you right like all of a sudden the show turned into ziggy and i i flipped out and i go okay enough with these fucking um kangaroos we're going up there and i took all 99 of my people in my theater up through the backstage onto their stage and 
uh, I trained a very quick coaching session, and we all chanted, we hate, we hate the Doug Ants, right? And so we walk on stage, and they just went, and we all started chanting, and uh, all hell broke loose, and it was good fun. Also, that uh, that first time here, uh, a giant guy in the middle of my show, when I say giant, he weighed, I don't know know how many stones are a stone. I lived in England for years. I don't know how many pounds are in a stone. Uh, A lot. a Bill Wyman amount of pounds are in a stone. And uh, this dude keeled over right in my show. And he must have weighed 250, 300 pounds. Bam! He fell over. And I'm like, fuck, because it was a small house. And so the parent, my, uh, the, my friend Mark Rainbow was manning the, uh, the deck at that point. He got up and he went outside and he rolled a joint. And... <laughs> I was like, Mark, help. And so they went and got paramedics, and it's Scottish paramedics, so they came, and they were, like, kind of drunk. And uh, <laughs> they dipped a, a rag into uh, glue and went, like, here, try this, you know. Uh, it won't make you feel better, but you'll be high as fuck, and you'll forget that you're having a heart attack. And uh, so they dragged this guy's ass out like a bison, right? It looked like the—it was like man called horse, right? Like guys had him on a stick and shit, right? And they fucking took him out like game, you know, like like Doctor Livingston, right? And uh, he goes out now. As you can imagine, I have about thirty minutes left to do in my act, and the crowd's pretty quiet. And I'm like, well, he's not dead. He didn't die. But if he had, what a great fucking story. So because we're on uh, the island of Great Britain. He sent me an apology note. I'm sorry I almost died at your show. Can you forgive me? And I wrote him back, you know, like, fuck off. And uh, no, I I invited him back to the show. And I swear to fucking God, he came back and watched the whole show again. And I thought, that is tempting fate. It's like the dude who gets hit. Exactly. You get hit by lightning in a field. Don't go to that field again. Uh, that was an exciting year. So this year I come up, I just did my one show. I met Clive Anderson, who you may remember from the English Who's line, is it anyway? For some reason he came to my show. I think as I'm doing his show in two days, he goes, I was taking notes on your stand-up. I'm like, don't fucking do that. It's, it's just the word cock followed by a lot of adjectives. And then I hate the government, cock, cock, cock. And uh, so we had a bunch of drinks after, and he... At one point, I was like, okay, I'm seeing, like, two Clive Andersons now and shit. And he's, uh, oh, you want to have another drink? And I'm like, no, because I have another show to do. Uh, And then, of course, I get here, and there's a drink. So uh, as someone said to me when I turned down the drink uh, at the courtyard at the assembly, they went, uh, hey, lightweight. I'm glad that those schoolyard taunts can still work here because it fucking worked on me. I had another drink anyway. And I plan on sweating through the whole show, by the way, in case anyone is worried about me. My kidney is not failing. I'm just bloody hot. I've never understood how to dress in Edinburgh because I came up yesterday and it was pishing, right? Wind blowing, fucking rain and shit. And every single person that I met, every Scottish person went, oh, it's been so nice. We've had great weather till day. I'm like, oh, terrific. I wonder if the memory of that weather will sustain me. While I walk down the street and my yarbles fucking freeze off and shit. (laughs) Beautiful day today here. Uh, I slept through a good deal of it, as you do. Um, So I goes to dinner after I leave Clive, and uh, um, they're really nice. I went to a little restaurant right around the corner here, and I sit down and I go, "Um, do you have iced tea? And I've I've discussed iced tea on the show before. I realize that it's a, a sticking point. Uh, in a lot of English-speaking nations. America, as you know, because we dominate the world with our enormous cock, uh, we're able to boil tea, put it in a glass, put ice in it, and then a lemon on top of it, and it is served as a drink. Here, in the birthplace of the drinking of tea, and the place that popularized tea more than any other island in the universe, uh, you are incapable of doing this. I'm not certain why. I think it's just, frankly, pig-headedness on your part. Uh, You have tea, you have ice, you have the fucking technology... As Lenny Kravitz said, let love rule. But you'll walk into a place here and go, can I have iced tea? And they'll be like, we don't have iced tea. And I'm like, you do fucking have iced tea. You just won't have iced tea. So I says to the guy, I'm taking a wild chance because I'm kind of drunk. And I go, do you have iced tea? And the guy goes, we'll organize something. Well, iced tea doesn't require that much organization. It's, it's not like putting on the Olympics. Next thing I know, Lord Coe is out here. 
So they, they made me a glass of iced tea, which I consider a, a moral fucking victory. So I order the dinner, and I get a piece of fish, and I go, how about the potatoes? And it says on the menu, and I love Scotland, potatoes Leonaz, right? Which, of course, uh, as I've discussed in Ireland, is simply... Uh, my friend Frosty ordered uh, potatoes au gratin in Ireland, and the Irish girl went, they're not au gratin, they're cheesy garlic! So I said, may I have the potatoes, Leonor? So the fish came, and it was fabulous. Of course, a zillion bones in it. I thought, I, sh- I forgot to mention that it would be nice if you filleted the motherfucker. But uh, <laughs> the potatoes were stone motherfucking cold. And when I say cold, they were like fucking, there was like uh, an Icelandic, there was a, an Eskimo being buried. There was an Eskimo elder being pushed out to their death on this fucking tray of potatoes because of the frigidity of the potatoes. There was a polar bear nearby looking out from under its paws. The polar bear was like, fuck, I'm cold, but this is cold. <laughs> but I, I, held, I held fast to the iced tea. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I'm very proud of you uh, as a country for, getting, for organizing a glass of iced tea tonight. Other countries would organize, I don't know, invasions, armies, demonstrations. In Scotland, we organize a glass of iced tea. But then the potatoes that are being served are from three weeks ago because no one's ordered them since the Olympics started. Uh, and what Olympics they were. Oh, my goodness gracious. Let's jump right in. Here's, here's some letters. I bought the Scottish Sun today, which is uh, singular in its uh, lack of information. <laughs> the cover of the Scottish Sun was Prince Philip, and it was like, uh, Prince Philip's not well. And it said, take some time off, Phil. <laughs> I love the familiarity. Uh, and then there's uh, many awesome uh, items in the Scottish Sun. Mystic Meg's Liveline. Explore what the future holds by taking, talking to one of my psychic, psychics and astrologers available daily 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. So what? After 1 a.m., there's no prognostication. The clairvoyance stops at 1 in the morning. I find exactly the opposite. I find around 3 a.m. you're like, fuck, this should happen. Uh, the... Uh, uh, also, uh, Furia Tombstone. Uh, Dear Deirdre, I have not read uh, Deirdre's. Deirdre gives sex therapy advice online at thesun.co.uk. And I'm giving her a free ad, so I hope Deirdre listens to this podcast. Um, her face is shocking. And uh, <laughs> the sex advice I got was, but um, there's a letter here uh, that says, my ex-wife, Dear Deirdre, uh, oh, there's also a cartoon that I assume the people who read The Sun uh, uh, require cartoons with photo, photo cartoons with captions on them in order to understand what's happening in the paper. Uh, Deirdre's photo casebook, Bell's body clock, day four. Uh, and then the blonde girl says to the black girl, so what did you say to Vic then? And uh, the black girl says, oh, I just made up an excuse. Do you think I should go and speak to Tom? Well, should I? And then at the bottom, there's Tom. And Tom, again, is shocking. Uh, no, no hair, no chin. Uh, he says, uh, hey, she says, hey, Tommy, I wasn't expecting to bump into you. It's really nice to see you. And he says, it's nice to see you, Belle. Can I get you a drink? And in a thought cloud over her head, it says, I miss him so much, especially the good times. <laughs> you mean when he decided to buy that hideous fucking shirt from Topshop and wear it to a pub? And get his hair cut so that he was a scary, rapey-looking dude with a fucking crazy statue head. Those good times, Belle. Belle, aim higher. <laughs> Belle, you're wearing a, a leopard bikini, what appears to be, while you're talking to your mates. Uh, Dear Deirdre, my ex-wife stays at my place all the time, but she refuses to have sex. I'm 39 and she is 37. Irrelevant. We divorced three years ago. So let me get this straight. When you were 36 and she was but 34. (laughs) But stayed friends. Oh, clearly if she's popping over to your house all the time. I have custody of our little boys and she is a great mom. Okay, that sentence right there. I think the the sentence denies itself halfway through the sentence. (laughs) I have custody of our little boys and she is a great mom. Hey, dude, if she was a great mom, she'd have custody of the three fucking boys. She's such a great mom that they awarded me custody. Her flat is 10 miles away, and despite the divorce, we spend a lot of time together. We do everything normal couples do. We go out together, but we never have sex. Um, She said, thank you for the woman who laughed. 
I too found that funny. We do everything that normal couples do. If you're in a normal couple, and I assume some of, some of you are here, uh, you know that having sex is, is not as normal as it once was. <laughs> once you become a couple, it's not the preeminent thing that happens every morning. You don't get up in the morning and go like, you know what I mean? Although I do come out covered with chocolate sauce and antlers on occasionally. And a, a less Dennis butt plug. Um, she says there's no you realize how America is not going to understand that one at all that was for you guys and you guys alone people in America are going to be like what's a less Dennis butt plug then quick to the Google there's no butt oh she says there's no way she wants it first of all if you call sex it no one wants it there's not a woman in the world, if you go like, hey, do you want it? She's going to go, mm-mm. No, I don't want it. First of all, I wanted some soft music. I wanted you to put on some Marvin Gaye, open a fucking bottle of wine, put on some incense, turn the lights down, tie the kids to their bed, and let's fucking go. <laughs> don't call it it, or you're not going to get it. But she lets me massage her back. You fucking... <laughs> now... I'm not an expert like Deirdre. I'm not an expert. Deirdre's an expert. But if you let someone massage your back, wow. Uh, we had a passionate affair for a year, and my ex knew nothing about it. We felt it was wrong. Oh, I met a single mom. I missed this sentence. I met a, I met a single mom at my school's son's school, and she's 32. What's with the ages, bro, Haim? You're as young as the woman you massage. Someone's got some massive diphtheria in the corner. I don't know who wrote the song, Who Do You Love? But I know Ronnie Hawkins covered it and Bo Diddley covered it. And there's an awesome line in the middle of it. Just turned 22 and I don't mind dying. Uh, she's 32. He had a passion, we had a passionate affair for a year and my ex knew nothing about it. We felt that it was wrong, so we ended it. But we still speak in text every day. You said you were 39 at the beginning of this, and yet you have women come over that you were in a relationship with, that you have children with, and you let them massage you, and then they don't have sex with you, and then you have an affair with someone that you knew was wrong, and you text them every day. Are you sure you're not 11 and making this all up? I'm getting, I'm so getting an 11-year-old from, I'm not getting a 39-year-old feel here, unless, uh, again, like people in their 30s, which I've talked about on the show, and again, if you're in your 30s, I apologize, but fucking grow up. Uh... I know this relationship should be everything I want, but deep down, I, it's my ex I really love, Deirdre says. Then stick with your ex, at the very least for the sake of your boys. You mean the ones that she doesn't fucking live with? Well, that ought to thrill them. Mom's back in the picture. Dad, we opted to stay with you. We, we like the other girlfriend, the 32-year-old one. Rather than badger her for sex, Really? Is that how you do it? You walk on all fours and you trundle along like this and you, you have a stripe down your back and you live in a burrow and shit and then you bite her on the neck and fucking try to copulate as hard as you possibly can. I would otter her for sex. I wouldn't badger. I would otter because otters do that little fucking thing and then they get on top of each other. If you've ever seen otters do it, it's amazing. I saw them at the Oregon Zoo once and otters bite the shit out of each other while they're doing it. It's very exciting. And they're slinky. They're slinky. Badgers are scary. Uh, compliment her and her encourage her to start valuing herself if she fucking valued herself she wouldn't be fucking coming over to your house all the time you fucking loser and letting you massage her and shit she'd get another dude she'd meet a Jamaican guy with a giant dick and lots of hair she wouldn't fucking date you bro it sounds like she may have low self esteem fucking A low self esteem grow a fucking ovary If, if you're, a, if you're a, a person and you can't get laid, you've got issues. But if, you're, if you've been married and you still can't get laid, holy kittens. Uh, keep up with the massages and persuade her to gradually to allow you to massage other parts of her body. Persuade her? Oh, honey, your neck is so stiff. I wonder...
Below the equator, you seem awfully rigid right now. I wonder if I might break up that ice flow with my fucking Shackleton icebreaker move. I'm going in. I may be some time. You don't persuade women to have sex with you. They're going to or they're not going to. That's how it fucking works. Men are so fucking thick, I can't even begin to fucking believe it. I was single once, a long time ago, back in the, uh, right after the war. And um, you'd give an orange to a Japanese girl and she'd be like, oh, thank you, or whatever. But the point is this. I think it was the uniform that attracted them to me. It, uh, when you meet a woman, she's decided within the first 30 seconds whether she's going to go. That's all there is to it. If you meet her in a bar, she's decided already before she got to the bar. Uh, if, if you meet a girl in another place, like a coffee shop, I don't know where fucking kids meet because I haven't tried to pick up a girl in fucking 38 years. But if I was going to pick up a girl, I wouldn't go to a fucking Starbucks and open my computer because to me, the minute your computer opens, it's just like it's a pussy, anti-pussy perimeter you're creating around you. No woman goes, man, he's on the Internet. He must be super interesting. <laughs> If women need persuading, there's kind of a violation aspect, in my opinion, because after persuasion comes like conk, and then, you know. Here, drink this. It's full of rich nutrients. I feel sleepy. You need a foot massage. That's not my foot. Oh, I thought there was hair on your feet. Um... I'm sending you my leaflet on creating, and this is capitalized, creating the mood for sex. Each word is capitalized, which should help. I think if there's one thing when a woman is uh, reticent or recalcitrant about the act of physical love, I think if you pamphlet them, (laughs) sex massage, free, sex massage. I'll be gentle for the first 20 minutes. Then the second 20 minutes will be like fucking thunder and lightning. (laughs) Then the last five minutes are hammer and tongs. Then there's an explosion. Then all you'll see are clouds. Yeah, you want to bring a pamphlet with you whenever you're going to go out with girls. Like Dear Deirdre to get the online photo casebook on Facebook. Another reason not to go on Facebook ever for the rest of your life. Call Deirdre's helplines. Here's one of the helplines. Give your girl an orgasm. There's a woman on a phone here with a very serious look on her face. If you fucking phone this number and go like, how do you give a girl an orgasm? Do you really think it's this girl on the other end of the line and not some like grandma, you know, fucking stirring cookies in a pan or whatever? Like, yeah, yeah, what is it? I want to know how to give my girl an orgasm. Oh, I've got a pamphlet. (laughs) Well, it's more of a poster, really. Creating a sexy mood, saving your sex life. Your man want more sex, fears and phobias, finding the kittens, McTavish. Uh, Coming out was a disaster. I confessed I'm a lesbian to my family and friends, but it has left me feeling lonelier than ever. I'm 22 and have known I preferred women since my early teens. Blah, 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 blah. Deirdre says, your friends may now be feeling unsure how to think about them and whether you still want their friendship. Get in touch with whoever you are closest to and suggest meeting up for a day out. Hmm. I've also got a pamphlet called How to Crack That Oyster, and it's uh, a... a dirty little show tonight. There was something in here I was going to read to you fucking people. I wasn't even going to read Dear Deirdre until the whole show went out of control. It's about the Olympics. The Olympics is what we was going to talk about. Uh, They were staggering and awesome. I talked about them in the last show, but I want to talk about it a little bit more because I thought they were so fabulous. I assume people watched uh, the Olympics. Uh, They were amazing. Uh, In my lifetime, I think they were the best ones. My favorite ones were 68, 1968. Really, Greg, you remember then? Yeah, I fucking do, you guys. I'm ancient. (laughs) I was uh, seven or eight years old, and I watched them on TV with my dad. And... um, 
that was when John Carlos and Tommy Smith did the Black Power Salute, and it was a very thrilling moment. And there was a lot of great athletics in that one. Bob Beeman almost jumped all the way out of the long jump pit because they were in Mexico City, which is way high in the air. And when he jumped up, he, had to, he didn't read metric, and they put the numbers up in metric, and he was like, yeah? and then they went, it's fucking 30 feet. And he went, yeah! and then, so it was, that was an exciting moment in those Olympics. Um, these ones were off the deep end good. Uh, this is from the USA Today, which is a fine newspaper. Again, I watched the Olympics in the United States, so it was difficult to tell whether other countries were participating. <laughs> the US coverage was so shockingly fucking awful every fucking minute. There was so much beach volleyball on. Uh, uh, all they showed was women's beach volleyball. At one point, it was like MTV's fucking beach house for like a year. Uh, I mean, I'm all for women's athletics and I'm all for beach volleyball. That much is too much. Volleyball in general, I'll, be, I'll go even one step further. After a game or two, you're like, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's like, fucking volleyball! This isn't to diminish the efforts of the players. It's simply to say that, in my personal opinion, after one volleyball game, I'm pretty much good for the year. In fact, I'm good for four more years. Because the Brazilian beach volleyball is going to be awesome. When they have the volleyball in Brazil, I'm almost certain they're going to give out complimentary waxes beforehand. Deirdre has written a pamphlet on it called Chafing. Uh, this was the women's Olympics as I've talked about because women really did everything. First of all, there were more women on the uh, American team than there were men. Uh, the women won 29 golds, way more than the men did on the American team. Uh, you guys had awesome winners here and well done Scotland for having seven gold medals. Look at you, Scotland. Uh, and it really, for a country that exists on chips and cancer, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. I really am. I see people here with heads as narrow as a fucking cabbage. You know what I mean? And you guys won seven gold medals. Well done, you. Even though I think Roger Federer kind of, you know, hey. Um, oh, Greg, did you have to diminish our fucking champion? I did a little. I noticed that uh, he was uh, English when he played in Wimbledon, and then he was Scottish again when he played for Team GB. And by the way, uh, the United States kept calling this country Great Britain every two seconds. And I, I lived here for a while. I never heard anyone call it Great Britain at any point in my entire time here. I have never heard in casual conversation go, well, since you're here in Great Britain. <laughs> it's like a title you give yourselves when you play elsewhere. Uh, it turns out the U.S. This is from the USA Today, uh, a column by Christine Brennan. It turns out the U.S. squad's early nickname, Team Title Nine, couldn't have been more appropriate. Title Nine is the... Um, legislation in the United States that allowed women's sports to be funded in schools. There was no funding of women's sports until 25, 30 years ago. And that's why we have so many awesome teams. The women's uh, uh, soccer team has won a gold medal and a World Cup. The men's soccer team... <laughs> yeah, talk about growing ovary. Uh, we're nuts about Abby Wambach, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the last grouchy anti-Title IX holdouts must have succumbed by now. Either that or they're hiding in their closets. America loves to win more than anything else, and the nation's greatest winners, winners are now women. This has been a celebration of women. Three-time U.S. Olympic basketball gold medalist Tamika Catching said, Our U.S. women's basketball teams won a zillion gold medals in basketball. And then we send uh, all of our professional NBA players to play Angola and China and shit like that, which I th find hilarious. Uh, more than you do. <laughs> Stories from London prove the games are still compelling by Mike Lopresti. Uh, this was the Olympics of women from the trailblazers of Saudi Arabia to the first time boxers to the Americans. The women's boxing, how about that? Unfucking believable. And this one goes out to Ireland because kittens, where'd that go? There it is. Uh, having played Ireland this year and talking off the mic, having played Ireland this year, Ireland hadn't won a gold medal since 1996, right? Since the Atlanta Olympics. Katie Taylor of Ireland uh, ignited her nation's finest Olympics since 56. When she be 56. Ireland, fucking pull it together. <laughs> Put down that Guinness and fucking get to the training room. She became Ireland's first medalist in London, outpointing Russia's Sofia Ojikova, eight, 10 to 8 to win a gold. It's a privilege to be here to box for my country. It's just a dream. When Taylor boxed at the Olympics, she brought a large contingent of supporters from Ireland. The noise they generated 
blah, 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 was deafening. Literally, Olympic official said her first bout registered a decibel level of 113.7 or the sound equivalent to a jet taking off. It's funny that there's never been women's boxing before and even funnier that an Irish uh, lady hasn't won boxing. Imagine if she'd had a few drinks how she could have fucking done. Ask why it took so long for women to box in the Olympics. Taylor said, who knows? People didn't realize the style. I think we shocked the world. People have opened their eyes to women boxing. We're showcasing the sport. It's incredible. Uh, how about the Caribbean nations? Uh, Grenada, Bahamas, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, all won fucking gold medals and all beat the U.S.'s ass. Uh, it was a very sexy, uh, a very, very sexy uh, Caribbean Olympics. Uh, here was, it was. Uh, and here's the, here's the headline that made me laugh the hardest of all. The, this was from the English papers. This is from the Times uh, from a couple of days ago from the op page. Shock, pleasure, the British people are nice. <laughs> I've been coming to London for a long time and uh, no one's ever written this before in a newspaper. What made the Olympics extraordinary, aside from the outstanding achievements, was the fact that English people were talking to each other. I was watching a TV show last night, and they showed like a regular day in England of everybody walking along, and someone makes eye contact, and they're like, I don't know you. And then during the Olympics, people were like shaking hands and touching and shit like that. I think it scared the English that they could be friendly to one another and friendly to everyone else as well. They had to have volunteers say, "Uh, go this way instead of, excuse me, I'm lost. And people go, oh, piss off. so it was a big moment for London because they felt emotions, and I think that's beautiful. Uh, this woman's column I was going to read to you, but halfway through I died of boredom, uh, and so I didn't because she started talking about her kids and the games they play and shit like that, uh, and I died. Um, this woman here, uh, trailblazers, in judo, losing a match, blah, 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 blah. Um, a, a woman from the Middle East won the first Saudi woman, she lost her judo um, match in a few seconds, but she was the first Saudi woman to participate in the, uh, ever in the history of Saudi Arabia. We've talked about this before on the show. Uh, the Saudis are, as you know, an open-minded group of people who accept all viewpoints. The question is, when she gets back home, will anyone get to shake her hand? Yeah, I know. I fucking know. The woman who won the Nobel Peace Prize from Iran several years ago uh, said when she won the prize, she went back to Iran and no one would shake her hand because they don't get to. And again, different countries, different ways and all that shit. But really, is it 2012 or is it 1012? That's what you have to ask yourself. When you're allowing women to go and compete even though they had to wear hajibs and cover their entire bodies and shit, doesn't it behoove you at some point to actually respect them as people and let them be fucking people occasionally during your fucking lifetime? Whatever. Uh, a couple of... Um, a couple of... Uh, a couple of obituaries here that were very good. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown passed away this week. She may not mean anything to you, but she created Cosmo Magazine, Cosmopolitan. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown, the author and journalist credited with introducing frank discussions of sex into magazines for women during her 32-year career as the editor of Cosmopolitan, has died at the age of 90. Well done. Uh, Women surrealists tend to live forever, and evidently Helen Gurley Brown as well. This is way before Sex in the City. She wrote a book called Sex and the Single Girl, and her whole gig was women can have a job, uh, women can be independent, and women can have sex. Uh, she was a role model for millions of women whose private thoughts, wonders, and dreams she addressed so brilliantly in print. She was a quintessential New Yorker, never afraid to speak her mind. Uh, Sex in the City author Candace Bushnell tweeted, this really is the end of an era. So, 10 years ago, I'm doing a chat show here in Edinburgh, and Candace Bushnell was on the show. And uh, she's whipped thin, right? And she had just married this young dancer guy. And she was fun as fuck, right? She was wearing giant Prada shoes, and my wife was wearing Prada shoes. And they pushed their shoes together and went, meow, 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 like that. So she goes, I have to go to the bathroom. And I go, Candy, let me take you to the toilet. And I, I walked her over to one of the unspeakable fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, stand-up toilets that they have here that are, you know, because it was in a Spiegel tent. So we, we had to go to one of the horrible toilets that smells just like death and fucking urine cakes. And I go, Candy, don't touch anything when you're in there. Uh, you know, so she clomps in in her fucking eight-inch heels and comes back out two minutes later and goes, you were right. So... I open up a tin of Altoids that I have, and in the tin of Altoids, I had secreted a couple of uh, uh, Nurofen Pluses with codeine, which are, as you know, the greatest hangover cure in the world. 
I know you're not supposed to take them because they're addictive, which I love that they tell you at the pharmacy. Don't keep taking them. They're addictive. I'm like, why do you think I'm fucking buying them? They have codeine in them. I can't get this over the counter in the States. I have to go lie to a doctor for two hours and talk about my back if I want these. In England, I can just pitch up at any fucking boots and buy them. And all I have to hear is the guy be an asshole for 20 minutes. Uh, uh, Are you taking any other medication? Um, Fuck yeah. I'm going to be smoking dope and drinking and eating about five of these, if that's okay with you. No, I don't. What do you, and I like, what are you taking them for? And I always have a moment where I think, should I say why I'm taking them? To get fucking high on codeine? Would that be out of line? Because uh, my neck, really. Because you're, you know what it is? My dick, you're on it. Uh, if, if you'd give me the codeine, it would feel like you were off my dick. So I open up the tin of Altoids and she reaches right for the codeine and I go, Candy, those are codeines. And she goes, and she took it anyway, as a mint. Uh, So uh, I was going to say Helen Gurley Brown. We always talk about people being a swirling vortex of stars uh, circulating through the universe tonight. She is an independent woman with an apartment on the Horsehead Nebulae. (laughs) And Orion is like this tonight. For Helen Gurley Brown. Uh, Mel Stewart passed away. Mel Stewart is unknown to all of you, and I shall explain. If you can see the picture that I'm holding up here, you'll see he's with a bunch of Oompa Loompas. Mel Stewart is the director that directed fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, from all those years ago. The good one, not the Tim Burton one with the scare. <laughs> Mel Stewart died at the age of 83. I almost I thought it said suddenly. Died suddenly at 83. I love when people die suddenly when they're 100. Um, <laughs> After living two lifetimes, uh, he directed two radically dissimilar films, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Was it called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, it was. The second one was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Or the book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, And Watt Stacks. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen Watt Stacks, but it's an amazing soul concert that took place uh, in the early 70s. And it intercuts it with uh, uh, footage of the Watts riots and people talking about Watts and everything, which is a largely black neighborhood in Los Angeles. And it's an extraordinary document. Uh, His other movie is this fucking movie with the Oompa Loompas and shit. Received without enthusiasm on its release in 1971. Oh, fucking contraire. I was 11, and I went to the Redwood Theater with my buddy, uh, Forrest Brakeman, and we saw Willy Wonka and the fucking Chocolate Factory, and we received it with great enthusiasm. It was on a double bill with, I'm not fucking kidding, the movie of H.R. Puffin Stuff. Yes, there was a movie of H.R. Puffin Stuff that had Mama Cass in it as a witch from the Mamas and the Papas, and uh, it was really good. Uh, I have been a filmmaker for over 40 years. Willy Wonka is the one work that's reached out and been embraced by a wide audience. Watt Stacks, released two years later, also acquired a cult following. My Night of Blah, 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 Blah. Uh, Los Angeles, with interviews in the streets and rousing, smoldering music of artists, including the Staple Singers and Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes sings, uh, God, does he sing Shaft in it? I think he's wearing gold chains. It is, you do yourself a favor and fucking YouTube part of Watt Stacks and you will fucking dig me forever. Uh, and also Richard Pryor's in the movie. It, it is fucking black culture at, at, at its apex in the early 70s. You mean black culture's not great now? Of course it is. Who wouldn't say that Beyonce isn't one of the great spokespeople of all fucking time? <laughs> that Rihanna, sometimes she looks like she's had a blow to the head and other times she just looks cross-eyed. Um, <laughs> so I interviewed Gene Wilder years ago. Uh, and this one... I'm hoping it's funnier than everything that's happened before. It was for a Chinese airline or Cathay Pacific or some nonsense, right? And, you know, it was one of those, hey, Greg, will you do this Cathay Pacific thing? They're going to show it on the plane for people when they're landing in London. You know, when you land in London, they show those things. If you're visiting London, you should visit the Tower of London. It's a fascinating place full of stuff that you'll... So... They sent me and I met uh, Terrence Conrad and Mater Joffrey. It was hilarious who I had to interview, right? Uh, so I interviewed Gene Wilder because he was doing this 
awful fucking play on the West End called uh, Laughter on the 54th Floor, which was, again, yet another Neil Simon play about when he was a TV writer in the 50s with Sid Caesar. So Gene Wilder played Sid Caesar. Well, Sid Caesar, if you don't know, was a gigantic comic. And when I mean gigantic, I mean in fame. He had a television show called um, uh, uh, Your Show of Shows, followed by another one called Caesar's Hour that Woody Allen wrote on, that Neil Simon wrote on, that Nat Hyken, who wrote Bilko, wrote on, that a lot of famous writers wrote on, and had women on the staff. In any case, woman on the staff. Uh, Sid Caesar was six foot four and built like a football player and we get furious at the fucking writing staff and punched a whole fucking hole in the wall Mel Brooks the famous director he held out the window of the 54th floor by his ankles right Sid Caesar was an animal he was taking methamphetamine all day and drinking all night and then on Saturday they would do an hour and a half live TV show right so he was a maniac Gene Wilder playing Sid Caesar. Gene Wilder's, you know, he's like this. And you're like, so the scene comes where he punches the hole in the wall and they've got a cutaway part of the wall where the, obviously he has to punch that part. And Gene Wilder goes like, mm, and his hand goes shooting through the wall. They put paper on it, right? And then, see, he was uh, an entirely unconvincing Sid Caesar. However, young Frankenstein had been on two nights before. So I say to Gene Wilder, you wrote young Frankenstein with Mel Brooks. Uh, and he goes, I saw it recently. And I was like, recently? You saw it two nights ago when I saw it. Because it was on at 12.30 on BBC Two. And that's all that was on. This was the 90s. There was nothing on but that. Uh, and he goes, I thought I was a little shrill. I thought it was a little one note. I'm like, one note? It's the funniest fucking movie of all time. Uh, so I go, tell me about Willy Wonka. And he goes, the man, he didn't say Mel Stewart. He said, the man who directed it made documentaries. The opening scene when he comes out and he's got the cane, right? Has anyone seen this movie? Because I feel like, okay. You may remember Russell Brand's version from the closing ceremonies a few days ago. Come with me and you'll be in a world of imagination. Somewhere Leslie Brickhuse is spinning quite rapidly. When Russell Brand comes out on a bus and there's a giant octopus and chicks everywhere, I have a couple of notes on the closing ceremonies. First of all, if you're going to play a David Bowie song, have fucking David Bowie. And if you're going to play one of his songs, don't play one of his shittier songs. Fashion of all the fucking Bowie songs you could have played. We are the Goon Squad and we're coming to town. Beep, beep. So let me get this straight. You're officially declaring you have no more ideas. Beep, beep. Play an awesome David Bowie song. Uh, And it should have been Heroes. We all know that. I don't think he wanted to. I don't think he's well. And then they had all the supermodels come out. And again, this was the Women's Olympics. Did the guys who were producing the closing ceremonies not watch the Olympics at any point and see all the women fucking jumping through the air and riding through the sky and and creating insane feats? We're going to bring out a bunch of fucking supermodels and have them walk up and down and go like, women can do this too. Look at them walk in heels. Oh, look, they're, they're doing coke off some pate. Oh, look, they're putting their cigarette on in your champagne glass. Um, he, at the beginning of the movie, when Willy Wonka, uh, when Charlie wins, first there's the part where Charlie's starving and shit. Where are we at, Lou? How much do we have time? To- are you fucking kidding me? I haven't told a joke yet. So he goes, the guy made a, he said, David Walper produced it, right? Uh, Mel Stewart directed he goes, I, I said to him, I want to come out and I want to do something that shows the whole crowd that you can never believe what Willy Wonka says, right? Because through the whole movie, right? So little to do, so much time. Oh, strike that, reverse it, right? And all this shit he says to all the guys. My favorite part, of course, we are the music makers. There's no such thing as a snozbury. <laughs> we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Uh, wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams. World movers and world forsakers, on whom the pale moon sleeps. Yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. So, 
he comes out in the beginning of the movie and he's on the stick and no one's seen him in a hundred years and he, and the stick sticks in the ground and then he keeps walking and then there's no stick. And then he flips over and jumps up and takes his hat off and everybody cheers and shit. That was Gene Wilder's idea. And Gene Wilder said that was my fucking idea. He goes, we did it. And I begged him to fucking do it. I begged him. I said, please let me fucking do this take where I stick the cane in the ground and I fall the fuck over and then jump up and surprise everybody. And he goes, we did 16 takes and he, I, I go, and Gene Wilder said to me, I was sure he wasn't going to fucking use it uh, and then he fucking used it and and good for mel stewart for doing that uh watt stacks and uh uh willy wonka are amazing achievements in cinematic history uh good for you mel stewart he is in the sky tonight very very quickly um what do we have here mm, well one quick item about pussy riot we talked about them last week. Pussy Riot's that brave Russian band that uh, sang in a cathedral in Moscow and is now on trial and, and faces three years sentencing. I don't know if it's come down this week. I don't think it has yet. Uh, they were accused of hooliganism, uh, which, as you know, horrible venal crime. I don't think anything's worse than hooliganism in this world except rowdyism. Uh, and... Uh, in any case, the Royal Court of London will stage verbatim readings of testimony given by members of Pussy Riot in their trial on the morning of the verdict uh, is due to be re- delivered. Proposed by the playwright E.V. Crow, the event will be part of a global day of action called for by the families and defense lawyers of the three bandmates. And here I go with their names. Here comes their names. Nadezhka Tolonikova, Maria Alekina, and Yakaterina Zamustevich. Arrested in March over a protest in a Moscow cathedral against the Russian president, duly elected. Vladimir Putin in charge with hooliganism. Motivated by religious hatred, the verdict is due 3 p.m. local time on Friday. Uh, That's going to be read out. uh, Her latest play, blah, blah, blah. Awesome. Uh, Johnny Pesky passed away. This is for the Americans. Johnny Pesky was on the 1946 Boston Red Sox. He was playing a, a shortstop. They were in a seven-game match with the um, St. Louis Cardinals. Enos Slaughter was on first. Enos Slaughter took off with the pitch. Uh, Dom DiMaggio, who had been playing center, yes, Joe DiMaggio's brother, had been pulled because of an injury. They put out a lollipop, as we call them, in center. Uh, a fly ball went to center, and the dude came up with the ball and made the worst fucking throw ever. Pesky ran out to get the ball to make the relay, and everyone was screaming at him, Slaughter's not stopping. Slaughter had come whipping around second, whipping around third, was going to score. Uh, he couldn't hear because there was tumult in the stadium. Pesky turned and made a shitty throw, and he scored. And he was blamed for them losing that World Series until they won one in 2004 when uh, Kurt Schilling got up and said, this one's for Johnny Pesky. Uh, and this one is for fucking Johnny Pesky. He was 90-something. And he is a swirling vortex of red socks in the sky. Uh, people in England were nice for two weeks. Exactly. You, you'll figure it out later. You don't know who Johnny Pesky is. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, my wife called me tonight and um, said she was at the Ecuadorian embassy in London today. Not inside. Uh, and uh, she said there were cops all over the fucking place and attack helicopters and crews everywhere. Because uh, Julian Assange, as you know, is, is being, uh, uh, seeking asylum and uh, is, has found asylum in the Ecuadorian assembly. Uh, Assembly, I was going to say embassy, and he's inside there, and the British government was deciding whether they were going to uh, not allow that to be a part of Ecuador anymore and call it a part of England and invade the place and go get him. Because as you know, the American government and the English government are dying to fucking put Julian Assange where uh, Private Manning is, which is to say naked in a cell with a giant corn cob up his ass until he says he's sorry for telling the truth. And uh, so she goes, possibly. Uh, that's another issue on the side of that. Um, uh, yes, there's that issue as well. But, uh, and raping people, let's be more specific, raping women. Uh, you're saying people. He wasn't walking around raping people. But he did disclose government secrets and whatnot, which I thought took great courage. You may disagree with me. That's absolutely your prerogative. It's also your prerogative to yell out raping people in the middle of while I'm trying to make an astute point. <laughs> I invite you to get your own fucking podcast and come back here. <laughs> 
in any case, she was at the Ecuadorian assembly today. I was heading toward a joke with this before you interrupted with rape, but isn't rape always really an interruption? We are the Ginsburg and we're coming to town. Attack helicopters. Uh, the governments of these giant fucking superpowers are quaking in their boots at the thought of this skinny ass uh, Australian dude. There's no guns. There's no bombs. It's him on a computer and a bunch of people on computers. And all they're doing is gathering information that we should rightfully fucking know about our own governments because of all the subterfuge and bandanage and bullshit they pull on us every fucking minute of the day. And if you think they're not, they are. And if you think your phone's not listening to you while you're in here right now, it fucking is. And if you think your phone's not fucking watching you, it fucking is. If there's one country you can be assured that you're being watched every goddamn minute. It's Great Britain. As George Orwell said, uh, when, when Winston Smith goes into the bathroom in one of the scenes, he goes into the toilet in 1984, he goes, there was no place you could be more certain you were being watched. And uh, that's how it plays here. In any case, and I'm not saying the United States is any better. It isn't. Uh, it's just that we don't have the technology together yet uh, to fucking follow everybody every second of the day. We're working on it. Uh, instead, we're going to predator drone your ass. Um, <laughs> And if I had a Predator drone, I would rape you with it right now. I'm joking, of course. I'd simply read a pamphlet to you by Deirdre about how you should, I should persuade you to let me put the Predator drone inside you later. Because we're still friends, even though you have the kids and shit like that. In any case, the point I was getting to, is there a point to this? Not really, but here's the point. Uh... Uh, she, uh, she said the Ecuadorian, uh, someone from the Ecuadorian embassy finally came out to address the crowd in a pink shirt with a cigarette and went like, hey. And I thought that's, she said it was so Ecuador. No one came out with hobnail boots or whatever. Uh, we're going to be doing the podcast again here uh, at the Gilda Balloon on the 19th and again on the 22nd. We'll be back in California at the Cine Family. Uh, we're going to be doing a showing, uh, the Proopcast and a film uh, called With Nail and I, uh, which is a marvelous film. We've already done Point Break and um, uh, uh, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I haven't put them out yet, but we're going to put them out. But they're going to be special K. You're going to have to buy those ones, I think. It'll cost you a couple bucks. It'll be added. Add what we call in the podcast world bonus content. Uh, the, and we'll be here at the 22nd uh, on the 4th of September at the Cine Family. Bar Lubitsch on the 5th uh, in West Hollywood, the 12th and the 19th at Bar Lubitsch, the 20th at the Mesa Art Center in Mesa, Arizona. Let's take some questions and then we'll go because uh, I've talked too long uh, once again. If anyone has a question here, Lou is womaning the mic over there. And uh, where are you, Lou? There you are. There's somebody. Hello, sir. What's your name? Hey, Greg West from the Bay Area. Hey, man. All about to see um, in a world of protons and antiprotons, if you are the proopton, who is your antiprototon? The antiprototon? Within the hemisphere and the circling of the proop electrons that come around me, uh, I already contain my antiprototon. My antiprototon lives inside me and is a sober well fucking exercised fit person who doesn't eat chips who's never smoked pot in their life and studies all night long there is an anti-proopton deep inside me that wants to desperately come out uh, uh, but is not going to because I'm not going to let him like that movie How to Get Ahead in Advertising when the little proop grows up on my neck oh, I'm going to be inside you tonight and I'm like I, I just ignore that fucking proopton You don't have the mic, sir. <laughs> I think you'll find Proop's rules of order uh, rule here. I believe there is an anti-Proopton inside of everyone, and if you're lucky, there may be a Proop's inside you tonight. <laughs> Not in a Julian Assange way. <laughs> Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure Proopination. If you want a Proop paradise, simply go ahead and... Proopid. Uh, does anyone else have a question? That's it. Okay. Well, good show. Oh, someone in the back. Thank you, Lou. Hey, should I stand up? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hello. Hey. Hi. <laughs> What's your name, mate? Hey, Stephen. Is that a question or a... <laughs> Hi, Stephen. It could be. Hey, what's the most dangerous situation you ever found yourself while completely naked? I didn't hear the second part. All I heard was, what's the most dangerous situation? And then I heard naked. 
And what's the most dangerous situation you've ever been in while completely naked? While completely naked? (laughs) My goodness, Stephen, there's a lot of conditions to this question. (laughs) While completely naked? What's the most dangerous... Let me get the question straight. What's the most dangerous situation I've ever found myself in while completely naked? Well, this morning, about 3 a.m., I had a pot of Greek yogurt balanced on the end of my knob. At the same time, there was a a, a lemur eating a raspberry out of me. And I thought that lemur was going to jump up and go for that fucking yogurt. Fortunately, I quelled it with a Valium. That was pretty hectic. While completely naked, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. I've been naked before. Although often when I'm in bed, I'll wear a suit just because I'm uncomfortable. Uh, uh, I, I think that might have been the one. Uh, I, I've never really been naked in a, like a large group of people or anything. And I, I've never been a gladiator. So I, nothing that dangerous has ever happened. I, I try when I'm naked not to put myself in those kind of situations. And I think, Stephen, I'm not Deirdre, but if I might give you a small pamphlet on safety and nakedness, I would say, try to limit the danger you're in once your clothes are off. In fact, don't even take all your clothes off before you go to bed. In fact, while you shower, you should wear socks because you can slip. I'd wear the little monkey-toed ones with the grips on the bottom if I were I you. Because I, I'm getting the feeling that something awful happened to you and that you're trying to channel that through me. Or the presumption is that I'm often naked and yet I'm shooting skeet or something. Or I'm frying bacon or whatever. Honey, let's whip up a fry up. Now that my balls are running free through the night, let's see if I can catch some of the spatter with my genitalia. Always wear an apron when you cook bacon, even if you are naked. Just a safety tip I'd like to give you. Exactly. Even if you are naked. Uh, I, I can't think of any I've been in some dangerous situations But mostly they were like car accidents and shit like that Or, or horrible shit that I didn't You know where you, where you find yourself in a neighborhood And you think oh fuck we're going to die And then you don't And then afterward you're like we shouldn't have fucking done that Or I've been uh, tweaking my ass off on acid In a car full of people screaming down the freeway Laughing at the top of my voice Unable to see the road I think that might have But I wasn't naked only psychologically naked. If you know what I mean, as Bill Hicks once said, my third eye was <laughs> squeegeed clean. Uh, I could see into another dimension, but I could not see the road in front of me. And I probably shot, should not have been not behind the wheel of that fucking Vega, uh, which is an American car from the 70s. Any other questions? We have time for 60, 80 more. One more and then we'll fuck off. Oh, there you are, Lou. Hi, Greg. My name's uh, David Are there Young. no chicks in this audience that want to ask questions? <laughs> All right. What's your name, David? David Young, yeah. Hi, David. Uh, tell me, what's the story behind Into the Night and Fraley's Comet? How did you end up in that? Well, thank you for asking, David. This is going to require a little bit of explanation, so I'm afraid the show's going to go two hours over. Uh, there was a, a group called KISS, you may remember, from the 70s. Uh, strangely, they're still roaming the earth. <laughs> Evidently, another comet is going to have to strike the Earth to quell these mighty dinosaur ceaseless perambulations. KISS was a group from the early 70s. They were what we called glam in the United States, which is to say they weren't glam at all. We know what glam is because it's one of my favorite genres of music. Glam is Mark Bolin with a top hat on. Glam is David Bowie with a star around his eye. Glam is, dare I say it, Gary Glitter. Uh, because despite what Gary Glitter did do and did done and all the horror of it, the fucking go and watch one of those old Gary Glitter videos where his gut's hanging out and he's going, come on, come on. It's awesome. So uh, glam rock was that. In the States, uh, Kiss wore different multicolored outfits and like they had giant platform boots and they spat fire out of there and they went up on grain elevators. I think I've told the story. Did I, when I saw them, I saw them the night Elvis died in 1977, just insanely drunk. They, not them, me. Uh, I was like 17 years old. And and Kiss came out, and at the end they went, We want to dedicate... They didn't speak, they only screamed. We want to dedicate this song to the king of rock and roll! And then they did Jailhouse Rock. And you're like, why are you doing Jailhouse Rock? You have a top knot, and you're wearing giant platform shoes. This isn't rootsy in any way. 
In any case, Ace Freely was the guitar player, and he was the spaceman. He had a silver star around his eye. They made a video called Into the Night with a group called Ace Freely's Rocket. I am in that video. Um, and, and I play a... I'm, I've got an Elvis Presley rug and a fez and a cigarette, and I'm trying to sell it to them as they walk down the street. A friend of mine named David Ratha was making the picture. Uh, he made a picture, and he made this video, and he called me, and they had an open casting call at 3 in the morning in a vacant lot in San Francisco. Every punk, meth addict, heroin addict, and fucking errant rock fucking douchebag in the world showed up for this thing and two poor put upon P&A, PAs had to go like, all right, everybody, we don't need all five million of you. And people were like, fuck you and throwing beer bottles and shit. It was a fucking riot, right? Like, so I went back and hid in the makeup trailer with the makeup girls. Ace Freely came in. He wasn't wearing makeup. They wore makeup and kiss. There was a reason why they wore makeup and kiss because Ace is unspeakable. So Ace's face was just amazingly pocky. So he comes in and he spoke in a hardcore New York accent, right? He comes in and he wants to do his hair, but he can't articulate because he's Ace Freely, the spaceman from Kiss. And he went, brash, brash. And we looked at each other and I I think he's saying brush. And he went, brash. That's how he fucking talked. I'm not kidding. I swear to God, he was like a Muppet. He went, brash. So the makeup lady got up and fucking quick ratted up his hair and shit like that. Uh, let me just recite some of the lyrics from that fine song for you that I was in. Uh, oh, how they do what they do just to get through into the night. Yeah. Uh, so there was a prostitute lying on the sidewalk. And when Ace Freely and his band walked by, she turned into a pretty lady. And there was a homeless guy. And when they walked by, he was in a tux. And when they walked by me, they just shined me on. That, I think, might be the... Do we have one more question, Lou? I know. We've, there's another show that has to come in here afterward. It's an a all-white version of The Wiz called Rainbow. Where are you, Lou? All right. Go on. This young man asked, uh, I've been on American telly and English telly. Have I noticed the difference in the quality of stand-up, is it? Or in comedy in general? general? I wonder if there could be a more open-ended question. (laughs) Have you noticed a difference between the two countries, in fact? No, never crossed my mind. Never noticed any differences. I very rarely make observations about things. Yeah. That's been the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. You've been a lovely crowd. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. I can't thank you enough. I love you so much that I can't let go. No, no, no. Hold on. Just a little bit tighter.